Welcome to the Into Security Chats podcast, brought to you by Info Security Magazine, the leading industry magazine and website, and presented by me, Info Security Editorial Director, Eleanor Dalloway. This is the Into Security spin-off podcast that allows me to indulge in deeper meaningfuls with the industry's finest minds. Hey, and thanks for joining me again. I'm so happy to bring you the latest episode of Into Security Chats, sponsored by Darktrace. Darktrace is a leading autonomous cybersecurity AI company and the creator of autonomous response technology. Its self-learning AI is modeled on the human immune system and used by over 4,700 organizations to protect against threats to the cloud, email, SaaS, traditional networks, IoT devices, endpoints, and industrial systems. The company has over 1,500 employees and is headquartered in Cambridge, UK. Every second, Darktrace AI fights back against a cyber threat before it can cause damage. My special guest today is Wendy Nather, and she made the rather inspired suggestion that each of my interviewees should recommend a snack for our listeners to enjoy while listening to the episode. Her snack suggestion for you for this episode today is a peanut butter and banana white bread sandwich with the crust cut off, as she says, to keep it classy. So if you fancy it, make yourself that sandwich and sit back and enjoy the episode. So my guest today is the utterly wonderful Wendy Nather. Wendy is the head of the advisory CISO team at Duo Security, uh, now with Cisco, and was previously the research director at the retail ISAC and the research director at independent analyst firm 451 Research. But Wendy also has earned her stripes in the practitioner world, leading IT security for the EMEA region of the investment banking division of Swiss Bank Corporation, and also has served as CISO of the Texas Education Agency. And Wendy is co-author of the Cloud Security Rules book and has appeared on many influencer lists. But to me, she'll always be the lady that I interviewed on the floor of the Moscone Center and the woman who got up on the stage of RSA conference in San Francisco in front of thousands of people and talked about a spoon, which she took onto the stage with her. Um, But Wendy just is one of those people that leaves a complete impression on you um, and a really good one at that. So I'm honored that she's joining me today on Into Security Chat. So Wendy, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Eleanor. Thank you for inviting me. And how are you? And how's life in Texas? Well, gosh, uh, I think it, it's very strange. Um, you know, the, the saying is that Texas is a whole nother country. And what kind of country we decide to be changes from day to day. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's great. And sometimes we're worried about the electricity staying on. So um, your guess is as good as mine, really. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, Wendy, you've just been inducted into the Info Security Hall of Fame, um, joining some pretty fantastic alumni such as Jack Daniel, Miko Hippinen, um, Troy Hunt, the late Dan Kaminsky, of course. Um, so congratulations. And how did you feel when you found out that you were being invited to be inducted? Oh, well, I, 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 it was amazing. I, I was, uh, my first thought was, what? is this a fish? I, I, I better not click on anything. And, <laughs> and then I, I thought, well, that's, that's just amazing. Um, 
you know, with all the names that you just listed. And of course, Alan Turing, who, uh, you know, I, I, I don't dare be compared to, to him. Uh, but I was just bowled over, really. Just before we started recording, you showed me a gift that your team had got you as a congratulatory present when you were inducted. Can you tell us about that? So cool. Yes, they got me a sword. They got me an engraved sword with my name on it. And now I feel like I should be out there, you know, making cyber knighthoods or something. (laughs) And as I said earlier, you're I mean, you're practically the queen now, right? If you say so, Eleanor, (laughs) I think you're you're the queen and kingmaker around here. (laughs) Well, I'm British, of course. (laughs) I think to me, and you are a completely natural person to induct, I think you have become such a well-known name in the industry, um, certainly an info security personality. I wonder, like, how did that happen? Did it happen organically? Did you just wake up one day and think, oh my goodness, you know, I'm being asked to speak at all these big events, loads of people know my name and who I am. Is, Is it strange? Uh, it is it is really strange, and it's taken me a long time to get used to the idea. Part of it is because I have worked in so many different areas of security. You know, everything from working in Europe at Swiss Bank Corporation to working for the state of Texas. When I became an analyst, though, that's when it really took off because when you're an analyst, all the CEOs of companies want to know you. You know, they at least want to put you in their Rolodex and they want to link to you on LinkedIn. They don't know anything about you, but because of the position, they want to know you, they want to talk to you. And so I've had the privilege of speaking to hundreds of companies and that's how you end up getting to know people. And it, it kind of takes on a life of its own after that. The more people hear your name, the more they decide, oh, that person, you know, must be well known. We should get them for our our, our conference because they're well known. And because Wendy is well known, we were going to invite her to more things. And so at this point, I, I almost feel like it has very little to do with me. Well, I think you're doing yourself a real disservice there. I I, I really do. I think y- you're you're a wonderful speaker. Is that something that comes natural to you, though? I mean, when I, w- I, I was there in the audience when I saw you um, keynote to RSA in San Francisco, and there was, it's, it's just a huge scale event. Like, how do you feel when you walk out onto that stage? Is that something that comes naturally to you, or is that something that it scares the bejesus, bejesus out of you? <laughs> well, I know for a lot of people it's very scary uh, and even very practiced and and excellent speakers can get stage fright. I think for me, it's I've done so many of them now that I don't feel that nervousness unless it's something really huge with a big run up like that big keynote stage where you've been in your own green room and they're standing there counting down the seconds for you to walk on and and that sort of thing. I, I, at some point, I was doing so many of them that I, I just got tired and thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm too tired to be nervous and they, they're paying me to do this, so I, I should just get on with it. But I, I do try to, you know, do the best I can speaking because I feel as though it is part of my job to be able to communicate effectively and to be entertaining enough to hold somebody's attention. So that's that's not a skill that you really see listed on job descriptions in security, but perhaps it should be. 
I think that's totally true. I think what has always struck me about you firstly is that you are just such a lovely person and I think everybody knows that and I think that's so oh, part Eleanor, of your popularity. No it's absolutely true but I think secondly what you've just said there about how you communicate you speak and it's so easy to understand you and you know I'm a journalist who's written about this industry for 15 years but I'm not a tech I'm not a techie I'm I'm a journalist I, I studied literature so but I understand every word you say and I think that's the key to security and I think so often actually that's really overlooked isn't it it is and and it's great that that you just said that you studied literature because actually I was a liberal arts major in college um, oh, really? I'm, I'm not a techie either yeah I can say it now because you've sent off the certificate haven't you so you know it, you can't take <laughs> it back now uh, but yes I'm I was a liberal arts major specializing in languages and history right okay so that that explains a lot about your your abilities to communicate so that's that's a really interesting point, Wendy. So how on earth did you end up in this industry if, if that was your educational beginnings? It was completely by accident and by luck because my father had access to computers from the time I was very young. He taught me programming when I was 12 and he gave me access to his department computers when I was in college so I could write my, my term papers. And I started doing that for other people and making money doing it, which is how I got into tech. I became a tech writer and then a system administrator and then uh, drifted into security from there. And it was really just luck that my company was acquired by a Swiss bank and I had studied French and German. So between French, German and Unix, I was the right <laughs> candidate at the right time. <laughs> and, and as I mentioned in the introduction, and you've touched on some of those those roles already, you, you have played on a lot of different sides of this industry and, and taken on very different roles. Where have you felt most at home? Is that on the analyst side, in the vendor side, as a practitioner? What's felt the most sort of rewarding or natural to you? Oh, uh, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. And I really don't know. I try to fit into whatever role I am doing. So, uh, and it helps when you have a fantastic team with you. So uh, uh, at any any time, especially right now, I'll say I feel completely comfortable working with uh, folks like Meredith Corley and, of course, my entire team and uh, Doug Song and, and all of those wonderful creative people that I learned from. But, you know, if I could pick them up and take them with me into a different role, I, you know, I'd be happy trying that as well. And, and Doug is wonderful. I've, I've interviewed him for, for the magazine before. Um, I really enjoyed my time with him. Since the Cisco acquisition, is Doug still at Duo? Oh, uh, actually, he is running the strategy office for all of the security business group at Cisco. And oh. I now report to him. So we are working on Cisco's overall security strategy. And it's a very exciting time for us. Amazing. You're right. You you do have a, a really great team. I'm looking a bit more negatively now. Um, <laughs> what frustrates you most about the info security industry? I think what frustrates me most is there's a predatory side to the industry. And part of that is the dynamic of, oh, can we break into this? Can you defend against it? Oh, you slipped up. I got you. Uh, I see that a lot in um, especially on the side of, of people who have been very prominently kind of representing 
the hacker side of the industry, everyone kind of goes after them and tries to hack them, tries to, in the case of journalists like Brian Krebs, tries to swat them. You know, if you stick out too much, people try to drag you down. And that also translates into harassment of women and underrepresented minorities and anyone who's perceived as not belonging, not being the right sort of person, there can be an ugly predatory side in public that really discourages me. And I hope that we can continue to address that. We have many great allies who, uh, like Brian Honan, who is wonderful, and Steve Christie Coley, who is always raising his voice for decency. And uh, we just need a lot more people to raise their voices similarly. Yeah, you talked about continuing to address it. Other than individuals that are doing that, what do you think we are already doing as an industry to try and address the diversity issue? And do you think it's working? Um, There are certainly lots of companies, including Cisco, that are working very hard on that and, uh, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. I think it's going to take a lot of time until we have a combination of so much diversity in the industry and the overall sense that being exclusionary is is just not done and that that sort of intolerance is not acceptable so that anyone anywhere can speak up without fear and say, you know, hey man, that's not cool. And it will become something that everyone internalizes, but it, it's got to it's got to reach critical mass. And I think it it won't necessarily be done by celebrating one group or another or having this week or that month. It's got to be every day, and it's got to be so pervasive that it's not remarkable anymore. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. And you did mention women earlier and talking about diversity. And it struck me today, Wendy, when I was writing the notes ready for this podcast, that this is my fifth Into Security Chats podcast. And to date, I've had only female interviewees. And that has been entirely a coincidence. It hasn't been something I've I've sat down and thought that's what I want to do. And it was such an amazing realization that actually I just chose five people that I really wanted to talk to. And they just so happened to be women. And I just thought that really did make me feel good that we've got to a place where I think diversity is starting to happen more organically and people are starting to speak out more and the representation in the industry is improving. But I do agree that there's probably there's still a long way to go. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful. I I remember a quote by Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Bader Ginsburg, who said somebody asked her, you know, at what point will you have enough women on the on the U.S. Supreme Court? And she said, when they were nine, and uh, which is the, the full compliment. And they said, what do you mean nine? And she said, well, there have been nine men all this time. You know, mm-hmm. what, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it needs to become unremarkable and natural, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about the not being enough diverse representation in the industry, you know, it's been said for years that actually we haven't got enough representation in the industry full stop. And you and I have sort of dug into this topic in, in the past about the skills gap and I think you once said to me that you considered the skills gap at the fault of industry because we have over time made technology that's just too hard to use and requires too much human power, which has you know, ultimately led to a skills gap. So do you still feel that same way? And, and how do you sort of see and 
feel about the skills gap these days? Well, I uh, it was fun because we, I remember us talking about that sitting on the floor in Moscone North with our backs against a, a column and, and talking. And uh, I still <laughs> believe <laughs> I still believe that part of it is uh, that yes, we we make tech too complicated for anybody to use. If you have to go through a bunch of certification courses and you have to have had the equivalent of four years of academic study in order to do that, that you know, there's something wrong. And I, I continued on that, as you saw last year in, in the Cisco keynote at RSA, where I talked about how technology needs to be designed for the people who are going to use it. And the people who are going to use it is everyone. Tech is being democratized and therefore we have to design security for everyone. And I, I still feel that way. Last week at the, uh, uh, at the virtual event for InfoSec Europe, I talked about how it's also a vision problem that we need to see and recognize that the people around us are fully capable of taking on security roles if we set them up for success and recognize the strengths that they do have. So I think it's it's a combination of all of those. Everyone deserves to have security designed for them to use, not have to try to break in and figure it out. And we also have to recognize that everyone has a right to be in the industry or they don't even have to be in the industry to use security because security should be for everyone. And I, I think, if I, if I recall correctly, this is where the spoon came from on the stage at That's RSA. Right. Because the, the whole concept of what you were doing is saying that you wouldn't need all these awareness campaigns and education around how to use a spoon. So why are we making technology that requires so much? Um, is, is Am I right? Is that, if I remember That's that right. That's right. It's, yeah, if, if you think about a spoon, it's really hard to use it the wrong way. You know, a, a little kid learns how to use it. But after that, you go anywhere in the world, you pick up a spoon, you know how to use it. And that's how I feel tech should be. It should be designed so that it's very hard to use it wrong. And so much of security these days is us blaming the users for using it wrong or blaming the organization for using a tool wrong. I, I still feel that we should be designing it so that security is the right thing that you do naturally with whatever you're using. When you're talking about it's hard to use a spoon wrong, I'm just thinking about my two-year-old son attempting to eat a spaghetti bolognese plate and just using his spoon and just sort of licking it at the wall. It is possible, um, but certainly not with adults. Um, so you're absolutely yeah. <laughs> get over that I'm sure uh, and, and then and then you'll be able to to say you know come on you, you had to work really hard to grab it by the wrong end um, <laughs> at, you know after, after he he learns that <laughs> yeah absolutely we're just going to take a very short break to bring you a message from this month's podcast sponsor Dark Trace the application of our artificial intelligence to the cyber defense challenge has marked a fundamental shift in our ability to protect critical data systems and digital infrastructures. For strained security teams, it offers the possibility to keep pace with an ever-evolving threat landscape. While rule and signature-based solutions offer some protection against pre-identified threats, the reality is that attacks consistently evade these tools. Powered by unsupervised machine learning, Autonomous Cyber AI responds to these threats before they become a crisis. Autonomous Cyber AI is a self-learning technology, 
It learns on the job from the data and activity that it observes in situ. This means making billions of probability-based calculations in light of evolving evidence. Darktrace has crystallized this approach to cybersecurity in the form of the Darktrace immune system, which is relied on by thousands of organizations to protect against threats in the cloud, email, network, and industrial environments. But you, you touched on blaming the user there, and, and that's another topic I wanted to talk to you about, because I think this is something that you feel very passionately about, as do I. Do you think it's this culture that's kind of led us into the, the, the blame the intern as well that we've recently experienced with big cyber attacks and organizational security failures? Is blame just a cultural problem in our industry? I think blame is going to be anywhere where bad things happen. But I think it's particularly a large problem in this industry because the systems we work with are so complex that it is very hard to examine and diagnose the chain of events that leads to something bad happening. And I think it's a combination of deconstructing an incident and having not having enough respect for the people involved in that chain of events and just blaming them. Like you should have known better. Oh, you stupid, you know, person. I can't believe you forgot to do this. And, you know, that combination of, of scorn and contempt is again, something I would like to see us getting out of our industry. I mean, I, I remember 30 years ago, 35 years ago, um, you know, we also made fun of users and said, you know, stupid, random, losing touristic scum and, and things like that. But I think it's time for us to grow out of that. It's really easy in this industry to, especially, and in fact, as a journalist in this industry, to report the bad stuff and the failures all the time, because that's what makes the headlines, the breaches, the ransomware, everything like that. And it's really difficult just because of the nature of what we do to actually try and flip that on its head and, and look at the successes and celebrate the successes when most of what we do is just trying to prevent the bad stuff. It's it's just right. inherent in what we do culturally, right? Exactly. It's It's really hard to go pick out a CISO and celebrate them and say, you know, she's been there for three years and they haven't had a breach yet. Yay, well done. Because somebody will step up and say, well, that you know about. <laughs> so there's that that gotcha again that yeah. people always try to play in, in our industry. And so I think it's a social issue more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So your job title, Wendy, your head of the advisory CISO team, what does on a day to day basis, what does that look like? Your role is it's a really unique title. Yeah, and I made it up. Um, it's it needed to to call myself something, and then uh, when when I hired the team, we had to call the team something. You should have uh, gone with Queen. Queen. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, 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 yeah. No, I don't think anybody would listen to me really uh, if I called myself Queen. Um, but uh, on a on, we do have a very a varied routine, just as. Uh, a regular CISO does where they could be meeting with any sort of people from day to day. I'm just looking back at my diary from yesterday to see what I actually worked on. I, I was I spent some time talking about 
different types of conceptual frameworks and security and whether they could map to other architectural models. I had a discussion about a startup that I'd never heard of. Somebody wanted my opinion, and I, I looked at what they did and said, well, here, here are some of the issues that I might see with what they're trying to do, and they're, they're still a very young startup, so here's what they would have to look at in the future. Then I had a talk with the director of the, the Robert Strauss Center for International Security and Law at the University of Texas, and we were talking about a program that he was working on for his interdisciplinary security program. I met with another startup, and in between, gosh, I, I know there was a lot of email involved, uh, and, and I was planning you know, a couple of talks that I'm going to be giving later in the week. So that that's just you know a brief a brief glimpse of what uh, what we do day to day. And just one more thing that I'd like to talk to you about before we move into the sort of final uh, quick fire question round, which is in your role now, and obviously as, as a past CISO yourself, do you consider burnout and stress and anxiety that's placed on CISOs just? too much and what can we do as an industry about trying to support people in those roles that do have the weight of the world and accountability put on their shoulders oh it, it is definitely a problem um and it can be everything from a CISO who is trying to talk with it, with their management, who's still trying to figure out their role, really. Am I responsible for this? Am I responsible for that? And the management going, we don't know. You'll, you know, you figure it out, but we'll tell you if you're wrong. They're struggling with politics. There are ones who are going to conferences and looking at all the new ways that their systems can be broken into and just going, I, I just don't know how I'm going to keep up with this. And people who have to to sleep with their phones because uh, they will get called at any time of the day or night. They have to be prepared for that bad thing to happen. And as uh, I think I told uh, my friend Nick Selby, if you're a firefighter and and all you do is go and fight fires, then you to you it looks like the whole world is on fire because that's what you do all day. Right. And if the world's on fire, of course, you're going to be stressed out and you're going to feel terrible. And to to make things even worse in the last year, you know, part of the world has been on fire. So that's just been stress on top of stress. And I'm not sure how we can help CISOs except, first of all, to acknowledge what they're going through and and try to avoid that blame game. And secondly, to to listen when they choose to talk, if they're allowed to talk. And if they're not, then some of us, I think, have to tell the stories for them without attribution. But we have to be able to say the important things that the industry needs to know. Thank you. I think that's perfectly answered my question. So let's move into um, the final quick fire question round, which is just completely random questions that's uh -oh. often nothing to do with InfoSec, but gives a really nice taste for who you are as a person, Wendy. So <laughs> the first question I ask all of my interviewees, which is the desert island um, question, which is if you were st stranded on a desert island for a whole year by yourself and you could only take one song, one book and one luxury item, item with you what would you choose to take let's see well the one song 
um, I'd be listening to it over and over again for a year. So I would be totally sick of it by the time the year was over. So it would have to be a song that I didn't really care about that much and would be fine with never hearing again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, actually, I think I would choose one. It, it's it's called um, Carl Papa, and it's by Bad Lip Reading. And it, it's a very strange song. It's very catchy. It's something that my teen and her friends like to sing along with in the car. And if I'm going to be on an island by myself, I might as well have something to sing with. So I think I would take that. Um, one book. Uh, one of my very, very favorite books these days is The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. Uh, it is a beautiful fantasy that really got me through last year. Uh, and uh, I just can't describe how magical it is to me. It made me feel like I was a child again, rereading the Narnia books and, you know, that. almost really believing in them and hoping they were real. So I would take that with me. And then a luxury item. Um, I think I would take, um, well, I, I think I would take my Fortnum and Mason camper with me as long as it kept getting refilled with all, <laughs> all kinds of lovely treats because there's just nothing you know, more luxurious than that. <laughs> it's not an all-inclusive, Wendy. You can't keep ordering top-ups of of your Fortnum and Mason. You didn't say thing. that. You didn't say that, you know, and it's it's the hacker ethos to try to get around the rules. So, you know, this I want a self-replenishing Fortnum and Mason hamper. This is very, very true. I love your take on the song, actually. I think of all the people I've ever asked that question, nobody's ever come at it from that angle. But you're absolutely right. You would um, destroy a favorite song by listening to it too many times. So you um, obviously really do think long term. Um, yeah, very clever, that answer. Okay, so this is another sort of cliche question, the the, dinny, the dinner party guest question. If you could host a dinner party, and I'm going to make this industry specific and say you can invite five people from the industry to have a really great night, who would you choose and why? Oh, th this is so tough because I know so many wonderful people. You know, no matter who I named, I would leave really important people out. And I can't figure out how to get around this rule, like with the hamper. So um, <laughs> it's it's very, very tough. But well, let's let's say that, uh, well, first of all, I'd have to invite you, Eleanor. Uh, that That's clear. And uh, we might as well set this in the UK then. And so if we're doing that, then I would have to invite uh, Javad Malik because he I is guess, the right? most, you know, excruciatingly handsome and suave and entertaining person that I know. Uh, Brian He's Hohen going to be listening has, to this and his head is going to be huge. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is. But, you know, well-deserved. Uh, Brian Honan, because he is he's just such a sweetheart and, and is so thoughtful and, yes. and full of wisdom. Let me see. Gosh, I'm... Uh, I'm actually really now wishing I'm this, was, was, this is real life now. This sounds so much Well, fun. you know, we can totally do this as soon as, uh, as soon as coronavirus restrictions lift. I know a wonderful Michelin-starred bistro pub in the London area Oops. that I've, I've happened to eat at. So they had the best scotch eggs I've ever had. So we were oh totally there. Delicious. Um, I, I know there will be, there, there are lots more people, um, 
in the, in the UK area who I would drag along to dinner, but I'm kind of blanking right now because it's still early for me. Uh, so can I take time. a rain check on the rest? Actually, I would hold a competition for <laughs> for the last for the last people to to join. Uh, maybe a sword fight or or you know shells at twenty paces or something like that. Absolutely brilliant! And you get a thousand brownie points for for choosing me, by the way. So thank you very much ah, for that. But good. yes, let's make that happen. And um, Brian and J- Javad, if you're listening, um, get it in your diaries. Um, okay, two more questions, um, a little bit more lighthearted, these ones. If giraffes were to wear a tie, um, Wendy, should they wear the tie at the top of their neck, just beneath their chin? Or should they wear them at the bottom of their neck where their body starts? I would say it depends very much on whether they're wearing a suit. Because, <laughs> you know, if they've got the jacket, <laughs> and 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 you know the the collar of the shirt and it's down at the bottom of their neck. Then having the tie up at the top would look silly, and we certainly don't want a giraffe to look silly because they're very graceful and dignified animals. So um, I think it should be down at at the bottom of the, of the neck. How's that? <laughs> That's perfect. Of um, course, you know if it's if it's a late night party and the giraffe is very drunk, then the, the tie would go around the top of their head. head. Yeah. Of yes. Or a wedding. That always happens at weddings in the UK. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. I love this. I've got an incredible image in my head right now um, of a very graceful giraffe at a wedding with a tie around its head. Um, Brilliant. Okay, last question, Wendy. Um, You've made it this far. Who is the coolest person that you've ever met? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, gosh. I, I I can't name just one person. It, it, although I I will say that there I have met celebrities who have been very sweet and very kind when they didn't have to be. And one of them is uh, the celebrated author Neil Gaiman. Not only is he an amazing writer and a creative person, but I remember at at some point when he was living, I think he's still living in the U.S. and um, I uh, got a, a book signed by him at a book signing, but then also I, I sent him a fan letter and he actually answered it in handwriting uh, and, and wrote back to me. So, um, you know, he's I think he's a British author actually, isn't he? He is. He yeah. is indeed. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say he, he is very, very cool for a lot of reasons. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Wendy, I've had so much fun talking to you today. So thank you so much for taking the time. And again, congratulations on your induction into the Info Security Hall of Fame. It's so well deserved. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eleanor. I really hope you've enjoyed this issue of Into Security Chats with my special guest, Wendy Nafer. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Darktrace. Wendy did ask me to add in a footnote to say that Jen Ellis would be absolutely invited to her UK dinner party now that she's back in the UK. And I quote, Jen has to be anywhere where there's going to be a good time. So Jen, we'll see you soon. I think I'm going to start shopping for an outfit right now. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Into Security Chats. I've been Eleanor Dalloway, and it has been a pleasure to have you listening in. 
Join the conversation next month as I get to know my next guest. Thank you.